Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome everyone to the Paradigm Shift. You're with Ian. Uh, this week we have on the Paradigm Shift on Community Radio uh, three things. The first one is we believe another world is possible. So while the Tour de France was coming to a close on the Champs-Élysées in Paris, 92 bike riders and 15 teams were completing over 8,000 kilometres of riding in Australia. That is roughly the distance from Paris across Europe and Asia to Seoul in Korea. Not a single media organisation in Australia covered this big ride for Palestine. Why? The big ride has raised over $33,000 for the Barrage El Barajni camp in Beirut, where refugees lack food, basic health services and the right to work. While the Tour de France Peloton was sipping champagne in Paris before the eyes of the world, refugees in the camp are struggling to survive. We'll give a full recap later on in the show about that. But first of all, let's go to the fourth week of the Assange extradition trial. Uh, we're going to have listen and hear from John Jiggins and John Shipton, who is Julian Assange's father, and also the former senator for the Greens in the federal parliament, Scott Ludlam. But before we go there, I'd like to draw your attention to the Australian government's response to the, the question of Julian Assange and whether he should be extradited to the United States for spying. The legislation that they're using against him in the United States is legislation that was put together after the First World War to try to stop state secrets being released that would cause harm to people. This is not legislation that has been used recently. It, it doesn't apply. To get one side of the equation, let's listen to the former Prime Minister of Australia, Julia Gillard, and hear what she has to say about the, the charges against Julian Assange. What are your comments when you said the Wikileaks case was illegal? What Australian laws do you think Julian Assange has broken? The foundation stone of this Wikileaks uh, issue is an illegal act. The foundation stone of it is an illegal act. Information was taken and that was illegal. So let's uh, not try and put any glosses on this. It would not happen 
information would not be on WikiLeaks if there had not been an illegal act undertaken. That happens with whistleblowers uh, leaking information uh, often. It, that doesn't necessarily mean the person who then brings that information to the public light has committed an illegal well, act, does it? Uh, but what uh, well, the Australian Federal Police is going to provide the government with some advice about uh, uh, potential criminal conduct of the individual involved. Uh, people would be aware that there's also uh, the issue of uh, a warrant uh, relating to an alleged sexual assault in Sweden. Uh, what I would say about the publication of the WikiLeaks information is it's grossly irresponsible. And anybody who looks at the pages of today's newspaper and sees that things like critical infrastructure lists are being put on WikiLeaks would, as a matter of just common sense, understand how grossly irresponsible but, this is. But, Ms Gillard, uh, that relates to the law in another country, the actual uh, giving out of the information. Uh, the question, I think, was about Australian law. Have you had any preliminary advice from the Federal Police? And they've had now some time to give such advice. Why is it taking so long? I haven't received advice yet, and obviously our Federal Police go through our thorough processes before providing such advice. Uh, but uh, I've been asked about this matter uh, a number of times, and I want to be clear about my attitude to it. Uh, Foundation Stone is an illegal act that certainly breached the laws of the United States of America. Uh, the individual involved, uh, there are potential uh, matters arising from Sweden and the warrant there. Uh, then, of course, we've got the Australian Federal Police looking to see whether Australian laws have been broken. And then we've got the common sense test about the gross irresponsibility of this conduct. Yes. That's the Australian government representative in 2010. There, uh, now, we should correct the facts there. Uh, there was no, never any warrant issued from Sweden against Julian Assange. There was never any Australian laws that Assange has broken. He's been overseas all during this period where he has released the WikiLeaks tapes on Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, last week, we played extracts from a webinar held by the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, uh, the MEAA, on the Julian Assange extradition hearing, which is going on in the Old Bailey at the moment. And that featured the WikiLeaks editor who gave us a rundown. Now, this week, uh, we are going to listen to what Scott Ludlam, the former Senator for the Greens, what he says about the importance of the Assange extradition proceedings. Contrast Scott Ludlam's views with those of former Prime Minister Julian, Julia Gillard. The reason this concerns us, obviously, is that Julian, firstly, is a citizen. And secondly, that this case represents a boot kicking down the door of what pastors repress freedom and the rule of law not just in the United States, but also right here. I think we need to be very clear what this case is. This is an act of repression. In any other country, in any other regime, we would characterise this as an act of repression. And it's aimed at a very particular target audience. I think being clear about that, being honest about it, helps us form up an organised response when we need it the most. The purpose of repression is to provoke fear, or at least surrender. That's what repression is for. 
the audience, one of the audiences is you. One of the audiences is precisely uh, union members who are writers, journalists, publishers, people with a voice, people with a platform. We're the target audience for this act of repression. Let's be really clear about that. The other target audience is anybody who might talk to us, anybody who might blow the whistle and tell us what they know. So the strategy, and this has been evident since at least 2011, has been to destroy the institutional support for WikiLeaks and to clear away the kind of core, the protective penumbra, if you like, of moderate media organisations or institutional media organisations to leave WikiLeaks as isolated as possible. There was a proposal to destroy moderate support and peel off the New York Times and The Guardian and the other institutional support for WikiLeaks and just let WikiLeaks cop it alone. That's the strategy. That's what they've been doing all along. And so it's really important that we're coming together now. That strategy has failed. There is, a, I think, a very powerful groundswell. It hurt us that disinformation campaign really hurt us over the intervening decade. Now we start to see it shatter. The things that Julian and the Kristen have been warning about for more than 10 years have come true. That's why Julian took refuge in the embassy. Repression can backfire. And instead of fear or surrender, repression can also provoke anger and defiance. And that is what is needed. And that's, what's, that's what we're called on, I think. That's the reaction that we're called on now. That choice is ours. Uh, right now, to use our platform, the MEAA is doing its bit right here creating a platform, creating a meeting place so that we can hear from Kristen and organise a response. Now it's up to us. You may be aware of this already. There's a Bring Assange Home parliamentary group. It has 24 members, government, opposition, crossbench. These are MPs who haven't waited until they've left politics to speak out. These are people who are our allies now inside that building. They meet sometimes behind closed doors, sometimes in open session to form up a cross-party response. If you're a journalist, if you're a publisher, if you're a writer, if you have any kind of platform at all, call that group tomorrow. Start calling those MPs tomorrow. Get in touch with them and ask them what they're doing. You're not going to get a hostile reception. They've joined a group dedicated to getting Julian home now. But find out what they're doing while this trial is underway. We organised several, uh, back in May, we organised several hundred journalists, uh, former and current politicians, uh, legal practitioners, writers, artists, activists and campaigners to write to Foreign Minister Maurice Payne to ask what she was doing. The government is still treating this as though it's an ordinary consular matter, even though it's been evident for a decade that this is nothing of the sort. So this government needs a kicking. It needs to be asked, and the opposition for that matter, not words, not sentiment, action right now. And that's something that everybody on this call is going to be able to do. Use your platform, whether it's a media organisation or just your socials, that was Scott Ludlam, the former Green Senator, on the importance of the Assange extradition hearing that is currently going on. Um, now, it's in its fourth week, so we'll hear now of some of the events in that trial from reporter Dr John Jiggins and Julian Assange's father, John Shipton. The plan for the US persecution of Julian Assange has been to isolate WikiLeaks and Assange from the powerful media organisations like The Guardian, The New York Times, etc., who partnered with WikiLeaks in publishing the Iraq and Afghan war logs, which form the basis for the espionage charges at the centre of the extradition request. 
The US state has achieved this aim by going after Assange and WikiLeaks for the release of the cables, while sparing The Guardian and The New York Times and the rest of WikiLeaks' mainstream media partners. Journalists are required to protect their sources, even to the point of going to prison themselves. This is one of the highest ethical standards of journalism, and the mainstream media have failed this standard to a shocking degree. In this regard, The Guardian and their journalists, David Lee and Luke Harding, have drawn the most ire from Assange and his supporters because they released the encryption password to the cache of secret documents in their book, Julian Assange's War on Secrecy, a book in which they even disparaged Assange, the source of their greatest story. The US prosecution has seized on this, claiming Assange carelessly released the leaked documents, putting people's lives at risks. The defence have been forced to spend several days countering these claims through witnesses like Daniel Ellsberg, who leaked the Pentagon Papers, and computer expert Professor Christian Grothoff. This is Julian's father, John Shipton, talking about Professor Grothoff's evidence on day 14 of the hearing. Okay, today we had the uh, prosecution trying to prove that water runs uphill and up is down with a, a deluge of detail about the release, the timing of the mass release of the cache of cables. It, the defence replied and conclusively demonstrated that it was David Lee. We can only conclude from the amount of time that the uh, prosecution spent uh, defending David Lee is that David Lee is a state asset. So, anyway, uh, the defence... Uh, I don't like to say the defence, actually. We progressed and we, uh, I think moved to, to the place where uh, the uh, case will be thrown out, that the extradition will fail on the grounds that there is simply no evidence and no means to extradite Julian to the United States. That was Julian Assange's father, John Shipton, being a trifle optimistic. John Shipton has been a great help for us in the community newsroom, covering this vital story. The community newsroom, in association with the Nagara Institute, brought John Shipton and Kieran O'Reilly to Byron Shire in December last year to talk about this important case. We hope to repeat this again this December. Well, that's an ongoing struggle there for Assange. Hopefully he will not be extradited to the United States because it's very unlikely that he'll get a fair trial there. Now to the uh, a bit of a recap on the big ride for Palestine, which we've been covering on the show in the last month. It, the, just to give you uh, some background on it, the big ride began in the United Kingdom with a ride from Edinburgh to London. That is a big ride. One of the riders, Manal, then brought the ride to Australia. In 2017, the big ride went from Brisbane to Byron Bay. 
It continued during the following years tracing a similar route and involved about 50 riders from various communities. This involved navigating our way through five different local authorities and three different police departments. Ensuring the ride was always a big cost and so too was accommodation for the riders who took two days to complete a ride of about 180 kilometres. Fast forward to 2020 and before we go on with the recap, let's go to Phil Monsour who's with his song Stand With Us. This is a song that uh, Phil put together to show solidarity for refugees in the KP prison just down in Main Street at Kangaroo Point there. And it could apply to any refugee uh, from anywhere in the world. And the big ride for 2020 was directed towards the Palestinian refugees in Beirut. But more about that later. Let's go to Phil Monsour with Stand With Us. another land and I can't go back with only hopes and dreams a small bag on my back look into the eyes of those you want to turn back we're just the same as you stand with us the system betrays you dogs of war divide us unity saves you solidarity Sets you free Every word that's said You know that it scares us Darkness all around History on our backs Every hateful act Is a step you can't take back On a road that's straight to hell Stand with us a system Betrays you Dogs of war divide us Unity saves you Solidarity Sets you free Solidarity Sets you free Stand with us Solidarity 
that was Phil Monsoor stand with us about the refugees in the KP prison at Kangaroo Point. Now, you're on 4ZZZ, it's Ian. The paradigm shift is talking today about uh, we're recapitulating on the big ride for Palestine, which we've covered over the last month. And we're just trying to get a, a, a um, some give people an understanding of, of what was going on and what was at stake in this uh, difficult time. The question for the big ride in 2020 was, could we conduct the ride and still be COVID safe? Our plan was to leave the course of the ride up to individuals and teams and ask them to register on a website and seek their own sponsors. This would mean we did not have to charge riders to participate because we did not bear the cost of insurance, accommodation and jerseys that we had in previous years. The big ride needed a partner and a feeder or union aid abroad helped us reach out to union members and activists on a national level because previously we'd only organised the ride from southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales. A feeder or union aid abroad was was set up initially by Cliff Dolan in the, in the early 1980s. Cliff was then the Secretary General of the Australian Council of Trade Unions and he did that on the advice of two nurses, Helen McHugh and Olfat Mahmood, who had been working in the camps and there had been a massacre in 1982 in Shabra and Shatila camps in Beirut. Um, the butcher of Beirut, uh, the Israeli Prime Minister, had authorised the killing of people in those camps, the Palestinians. Now, Olfat herself grew up in a nearby camp, Baraj el Barajni. Her family had been exiled from Tashiha, a village in northern Palestine in 1948 during al Nakba, or the catastrophe. They were driven out by the Haganah, which was an Israeli military outfit that um, pushed people out of their homes and villages. Now, in recent years, a feeder has been hampered by false allegations from the Australian government that it was supporting terrorists. A feeder that's unionated broad funding was suspended while it defended those charges. Now, AFIDA was keen to help the Big Ride for Palestine organise an event this year from the 5th to the 20th of September and provided a fundraising platform for the ride. Now, in August, Baraj El Barajni Camp, that's the one in Beirut where Olfat was, um, it was hit by a huge explosion of ammonium nitrate which occurred at the port of Beirut. Many people would have seen it on the news. People in the surrounding suburbs were killed and injured. Lebanon had was already crippled by corruption and economic collapse. People went on the streets to clean up the mess and to protest against the government. Olfat Mahmoud reflects on that situation in an interview, interview that I did with her while we were organising the big ride. Let's go to that interview now. Union Aid Abroad, AFIDA, and the Big Ride for Palestine, Australia, we're organising a ride that people can sponsor. Yeah. We want to ride the equivalent distance 
from Beirut to Jerusalem, Al-Quds. Hopefully that 430 kilometres that we ride, people will donate for each kilometre. You mentioned the right of return. That would be a solution for the international community that the Palestinians be allowed to go back to their homeland. Yeah, this is the best solution. This is the only way to solve this problem. It's, we have been refugees for 72 years. It's more than enough. It's more than enough years and years of suffering. Come to international community who create this problem and our suffering. Yes, I suppose it even goes back beyond the 70 years, right back to the Balfour Declaration. Yes, we hope they will, you know, always, always. We talk about how we can uh, what we call it, uh, like uh, to uh, like uh, to help during catastrophe. Why we should allow catastrophes to happen? We should we should prevent them. We should not allow catastrophes to happen. And this is this is it. It's like now we know the solution. It's give the Palestinians the right to return. But why they why we should always go into war and losing people and losing homes and then and it's we can solve it and prevent. Previously, when there was a big crisis in Lebanon, for example, the um, the bombing of Beirut by the Israeli uh, military during the, the the civil war, getting food was helped by the fact that Syria was an agricultural country which could help provide food. Now, with the Syrian civil war, that's made that less lightly. So, where can the people get the food from? You know, in Lebanon we have some agriculture, but not like we need from outside as well. Uh, it, it still comes to the country, imported to the country uh, from Jordan, from other countries, but it's more expensive because it's cheaper to get it from Syria. It's more expensive. And now, also with the harbor uh, being uh, damaged and it's like like people are very worried about uh, like uh, not having enough food not having uh, enough resources medication all of this we started actually to not just to feel it we started like to to, to recognize that many uh, many things are have disappeared from the from the country Yes, we saw the pictures of the big grain silos being destroyed by the explosion. Yes. And I was wondering... Also, also, how, the, also how, the, how the ships will come with goods if, if the harbour is damaged. Yes, and um, well, how, will, how will people make bread? Are you able to grow anything in the camps? No, not enough rooms for people. I'll tell you, the camp is less than a square kilometer for Gibraltar, for example, and more than forty-five thousand people live in. Of course, we don't have huge buildings, or it's only small houses. It's no space at all for children to play outside the house. So the children have to remain indoors then. Most of the time indoors, yeah, because there is no outside. Well. Thank you very much for talking with me, Alfat. I was wondering whether there was anything else you wanted to say to our listeners. We are all human beings. We should have similar lives. 
so much of suffer. We are in the 21st century. We, we want to suffer. And this is what we should always put in front of us. No one should suffer. So we need to help each other. We need to support each other. And we need always to question why this is happening. So we should not allow corruption. We should not allow injustice. And I hope that everyone will enjoy life and will enjoy peace as well.
that was um, Phil Monster again with Hula Darwish's homework. Anyway, you're on the paradigm shift and we're just doing a, a recap on the big ride for Palestine, which we've been covering over the last two weeks. We listened to Olfat Mahmoud reflecting on the situation in the refugee camps in Beirut. And I, I've just got a quote here from her because... She, she, of course, has been living as a stateless person in a camp all her life. She said, as a refugee, after the big explosion in uh, the port of Beirut in August, I started to think that now many people will be displaced because their houses are destroyed. They will be refugees in their own country. I remember how losing your house means losing your dignity. I remembered how hard it is to lose not only your own house, but also the memories that were made in each and every corner of your home. So if you want to read a bit more about that, you can go to bigrideoz2020.raisley.com. That's the site of the big ride. I'll just spell that out. So you've got the HTTPS bizo. So big ride, B-I-G-R-I-D-E, A-U-S, 2020, they're letters like numerals, dot raisley, R-A-I-S-E-L-Y dot com. Anyway, the president of France, Macron, visited the capital and promised the Lebanese people aid. However, no aid was forthcoming for the Palestinians in the refugee camps in Lebanon, save for a small and inadequate assistance from UNRWA. That's the United Nations organisation charged with the responsibility for looking after the Palestinians in Lebanon and the occupied territories as a result of them having been driven out by the Israeli militia, driven out of their homes and their villages. So anyway, Afida and the Big Ride proposed to give aid to the Palestinian Women's Humanitarian Organisation. That's Olfat is a director, and that works in the Baraj El-Barajni refugee camp, providing educational and health services which attempt to draw women out of the cycle of poverty in which they live in those, in those camps. The Big Ride is organised to raise awareness as well, not just to raise money, but a, a re, an awareness in Australia, because there's so many people in Australia who come from that part of the world now. Uh, there's a lot, however, there are a lot of Australians who don't really get what's going on. Um, we're talking about very small countries, you know, that Lebanon's only like six billion people. It's not very big. Um, in fact, our team, when we did our ride, we would have gone from Lebanon to Jerusalem, that's Beirut to Jerusalem, backwards and forwards several times. Anyway, so we organised and we tried to bring people's awareness about the unjust military occupation of the country of Palestine by Israel. We organised the low-key launch of the event, which was a walk from the Trades and Labour Council building in South Brisbane. And at the end of the two-week ride, we organised an end-of-ride picnic in Orley Park at Hill End in Brisbane. And that was a great success. 
We got Al- Olfat on the on the on the line. We were lucky enough to make hook up in the park. There were people picnicking all around Orley Park. You know, there on Sunday it's almost a social experiment that park because there's people, heaps of people out there now. But but it's lovely there by the river. And anyway, we had some traditional dabka dancing. We learned how to do the dabka, the Palestinian dance. We but, but the Palestinian dance troupe was there, and we had some really lovely hummus and and um, Middle Eastern food. Anyway, so just to give people an idea, um, the CFMEU and the Plumbers Union, they gave generously to the big ride again this year. Several teams participated, for example, in Melbourne, which was under lockdown, a services union team called the Calipigians. They rode over... 1,590 kilometres and raised $3,200. Now, a lot of that was done on indoor trainers. So for people thinking they're breaking the the COVID lockdown, that's not right. Anyway, our team called Al-Quds, which is the name for Jerusalem, it completed over 1,500 kilometres and raised over $2,000. So for the first time, Walkers participated in the ride. For example, the Araucarians, a group of women, completed two long walks, one in Cleveland, 13 k's, and another near Roadvale in Fassifern, 6.4 k's. The total kilometres walked by the whole group, when you add all up, all the participants walked together, was 74 kilometres. And so we hope that the money raised will help the Palestinian refugees suffering in the camps and that one day they will be able to return to their towns and villages. So that's it. That's the 2020 Big Ride for Palestine, which the Paradigm Shift has been covering. So let's go now to the last segment of the program. Andy, of course, has not been around lately. You you know, you've missed him on the airwaves. He's, he's out there trying to stop the Adani project from going ahead. He's in the camp. Uh, there's they're doing the hard slog out there. You can you can follow him on Andy Payne's blog, and um, also on Facebook. He, you can keep up to date on what's going on out there. Uh, I heard a couple of weeks ago that they'd blocked for like three days. Um, the the traditional owners had blocked the the road, so Adani couldn't do anything. Anyway, um, while the COVID has been going, Andy's got this idea, look, what's, what can you do? <laughs> You're stuck. So like a lot of people, me included, I'm sure you are the same, we have been just listening to a hell of a lot of music. <laughs> anyway, Andy's put together this thing called the Isolation Mixtape Number 2. So I'm just going to play some of them, uh, some of the songs that he's been listening to, and I've added one myself at the end, which I'll introduce at the end of this set. So let's start out with a, a really good local song about Stefan, you know, the hairdresser. Well, this is called Stefan's Needle, and it's by Screech Tramps. I'll let you figure out what it's all about. Stephen's needle, Stephen's needle, we're dancing to the lion. Stephen's needle, the sky needle was, it's a big 
I'll show you West End. This is a place where you can make friends. Monday night at the Shy Cafe. See all the funky cool reggae bands play. Hotel, African dub, and rugby as well. Roddy went down, but they wouldn't let him in. You can't tell a drunk by the shade of his skin. Brownie Studios, T-Party, all of the punk bands are playing for free. Chocolate cake and a cask of wine. Off to the joint, hey, we're feeling fine. This Stefan's Needle, Stefan's Needle, dancing to the light of Stefan's was Stefan's Needle, Screech Tramps. Every time we go through West End now, we'll know what the big, tall... I used to think it was a phallic symbol, but no, it's it's a needle. So, so that's it. Um, a bit of a take there on Stefan. He's, he's a guy that, you know, he suffered a lot of racism when he was at school because... He's Lebanese, like um, we've been talking about Lebanon. He's, his family came from Lebanon and, of course, you know, back in the day when Stefan was around, they used to give him a terrible time and especially when he went out to um, out west to, to start his, his hair salons out there. I mean, to be gay and Lebanese, that was not a very good look in the western towns of Queensland. Anyway, he... He seems to have survived with his boat races and his tall needle in the middle of West End. Okay, let's go. Now, we're playing the Andy Payne Isolation Mixtape. Now, you can make up your own mixtape, but this one is you'll find on the the Paradigm Shift uh, SoundCloud um, website. Go to SoundCloud and just put in 
IAN-CUR at the end of it, and that you'll see that's where we keep all our programs. And you can, um, we're also on WordPress and we're also on Facebook. We, we covered all of the social media bases. Let's, but let's go now to Lucinda Wim- Williams, uh, who won three Grammys, I believe. And this is her song, Passionate Kisses. Okay, that was Lucinda Williams with Passionate Kisses. Now, the next one, I'll have to set this one up for you because, okay, I received Andy's Isolation mixtape, which I've been playing, and you can see some of the other tracks on our SoundCloud account, just under soundcloud.com forward slash IAN dash C-U-R-R, that's me. And you can go through all the tracks from that. We keep our shows there as well if you want to listen to past shows. And we also keep them on WordPress and we advertise them on Facebook. Anyway, now to set up this next one, Andy sent this isolation thing and I'm thinking, well, what have, what have I been listening to lately? And I've come across, maybe you people out there know about this, but 
I've come across this amazing thing in Dublin where in a street called Grafton Street, there are all these incredible buskers. And I've just been, you can go on YouTube and you can listen to these guys playing covers mainly, but sometimes original songs. Um, and, you know, you get get this feeling that there's a real sort of culture there, subculture. And as time progresses, you see on the videos that COVID arrives and then everyone who's out shopping started to wear masks. But they still continue to have these great performances and often their buskers will join together and help each other out. There's a sharing sort of thing with their music and sometimes, you know, someone can play a song better on a guitar or a, or a piano or keyboard than the singer so they relieve the singer of that responsibility and the person just continues to sing. Anyway, I came across this young girl, only 14 when I first saw her. Now she, I think she's 15. Her name is Alice Sherlock and she plays all this amazing, sings this amazing uh, like versions of, of covers of people like Ed Sheeran, of of um, Adele, um, the Beatles, anywhere. He should she'll just sing anything, and some of her mates down there in Grafton Street at the busking, in uh, in Dublin, they come out and help her. And there's a really good guitarist by the name of Philly Campbell, and another guy who there's a lot of controversy whether he's Italian or not. Anyway, Ali decides she's going to sing this song. And uh, it's uh, an Ed Sheeran cover and uh, called Perfect. You, everyone probably knows that. Anyway, she gets accompanied by this guitarist. She's been filmed by her dad, who's there looking out for her. And this guy comes up to the microphone and sings the Perfect in Italian and in a very operatic voice. So I thought... Let's go out with this uh, Ali Sherlock cover of Ed Sheeran's song.
straight on the cross Listening to our famous song You said you looked a mess I whispered underneath my breath You heard it, darling You look perfect tonight degli onde del mare con i miei segreti molto di più spero ci ingono l'amore che ci ha cambiato diventi casa la mia famiglia diventi noi e siamo sempre bambini ma Vuole possibile, stavolta non ti lascerò, mi baci piano ed io non è desistere, nel nostro squadro crescerò, ballo con te. Stretti forte poi, a piede nudi noi, dentro la nostra musica ti ho guarda ridere, e la tua squadra tu sei tu stasera, sei perfetta per me. Between.